So the way we approach things in life is extremely important. And the way Tommy was gonna approach that song this morning was extremely important to me as well. Matter of fact, I'm gonna be honest with y'all. I, how many people asked you what we were gonna say this morning? Well, I know what we had kind of concluded I went around to Sunday schools and I told everybody to ask him, Tommy, is it going to be power or par? Power or par? Do y'all know the difference between power and par? Yeah, there's a lot of difference. Par is what we lose when a squirrel jumps on our transformer at home. Par is what you call Brian Mashburn and complain about losing. Power is what our risen Savior has, and we're going to be celebrating that in a couple of weeks. So let's give amen for that. If you will, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We will be finishing up chapter 12, not Hebrews, but we will be finishing up chapter 12 today. Um, the way we approach things in life is extremely important, regardless of what it is. This week, we approached a new series season in our life as the boys started baseball. What a week to start baseball. Man, and I'm going to say something, and half of y'all are going to go in shock when I say this. But we started off Monday. And we went and watched Logan play over at uh, Young Harris College. Great time spending time with Don and Shannon and getting to watch Logan play at Young Harris College. But then Tuesday at 6.30, we had our first practice. And then our second practice was yesterday morning at 10 o'clock. I'm going to say something y'all will never thought y'all would heard me say. It got cold. <laughs> It wasn't the temperature that got cold. It was the 30 mile an hour wind that was blowing through every inch of clothes that I had on that made me cold. But as the boys have been approaching this season in their life of playing baseball, I was kind of nervous about it. I was kind of nervous about it because all I've heard Jennifer say is, I'm worried the ball is gonna hit them in the face. <laughs> Isn't that what every mama worries about? You know, you watch little kids tuck the ball, tuck their glove down, ball hits their glove, pops up, knocks them right in the mouth. It's a beautiful sight. It really is. There's nothing like a seventh-year-old running off the field crying to his mom because the ball hit him in the face. But at the same time, if we approach life in that way, we're setting ourselves up to fail from the very beginning. And a lot of times when we approach new adventures in our life, we approach it just that way. We always think about the worst of what could happen, do we not? I'm, I'm typical with that. When I approach a new problem in life, I always go to what is the worst possible outcome? Because I want to stay clear from that. The last thing I want to do is what is going to come about worst. But we also have to be careful and really consider the way that we also approach God as well. This is the most important thing that we can ever grasp in our life. Because yes, there are many different ways that people think. Let me repeat that. There are many different ways that people think you approach God. But God's word says that there is only one way 
that we can approach God. And this has been an argument for a long time. This has been an argument longer than the argument of power versus power. This has been going on from the beginning and we find evidence of it right here in Hebrews chapter 12. So in verse 18, this is what the writer says. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to a darkness and to a gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sounds of the word, sound of the words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken for they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God and to the judge of all and to the spirit of all righteousness made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Underline that in your Bibles. That's going to be a critical point we're going to talk about at the end. For if those did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression yet once more denotes the removal of those things which can be shaken as is created, as in created things. So that, not, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which is not to be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Pray with me. Father, first, I just want to say thank you for this word that you've given us this morning. And Lord, as I've approached this sermon um, over the last two weeks, thinking and praying about what you would have me say, Father, once again, I'm just asking, like I asked at the very beginning, allow the things that you desire to be said, said. And Father, allow your people to hear what your word has for us this morning. Father, once again, I always pray for it, Lord, and I ask it again. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us a true heart to understand what it is your word has for us. But also, give us, Lord, an opportunity to use what we will learn this morning, not just for your glory, not just for us to have a peace of mind, but so that we can use this, Lord, to show others that you indeed are the way 
the truth, and the love. Father, we love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I'm going to be honest with you all. Four weeks ago, because <coughs> I really do try my best to read ahead and what I'm going to be going through in a couple of weeks ahead just so I can be praying about it. But four weeks ago, I started reading this passage and it opened up for me a lot of insight. Um, matter of fact, there's only four pages of notes here and there's about 22 pages left at home. But it also opened the door for me to realize where we will be going next. And while this is an introduction to where we will be going next, where we will be going next will take place sometime in May after we finish Hebrews, sorry. But when we're, where we go next is we're going to be talking about basics. We're going through basic training. Before we, anybody, any soldier goes into war, they go through basic training. Even when the draft took place back in the 60s, they still sent them through a very fast-paced basic training, but they sent them to an area that closest resembled to Vietnam. They sent them to Louisiana. Well, that's harsh, ain't it? <laughs> We're sending you to war, for, but first we're sending you to Louisiana. Anybody from Louisiana, I'm not making fun of you. I just know it's hot there and it's nasty there. Very nasty, especially the southern areas. But before we can move forward and even talking about basics, there's some things that we really do have to get to. And it is about how we approach God. Many people will say that there are multiple ways that you can approach God. That is not the truth. But even the writer of Hebrews talks about two various ways that people talk about how they can approach God. The first way is Mount Sinai. When he talked about the mountain of fire, the mountain of darkness, the mountain of gloom and whirlwind, what he was making reference to is he's making reference to the Mount of Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses got the Ten Commandments. And our projector really doesn't do that great of a view for it. But the imagery that you see when you read Exodus about what is portrayed of Mount Sinai, it doesn't look like that nice of a place to be. Let's just look at some of the words that he uses here. He says it's a blazing fire. Now understand, all throughout scripture, fire is used to talk about holiness, righteousness, and the purity of God. It talks about a place of darkness. Last night, okay, last night I went out to walk my little dog. And I promise you, that was the darkest night I have seen in a long time. And most of y'all know that I'm not too good in the dark. I grew up in the 80s, so whenever I go out in the dark, I hear, ch -ch -ch -ch. <laughs> Yeah, y'all are laughing because y'all know what movies I watched. But I know what y'all watched too. But regardless, it was so dark, this is no joke, I turned off the flashlight and put my hand in front of my face. And literally, I could not see it. I don't know why it was that dark. Maybe I've been in a lot of light, but seriously, it just felt like darkness. Whenever we talk about darkness in the Bible, we talk about something that cannot be found, something that is hidden 
Something that cannot be seen. But he also describes this place as gloom and whirlwind and storms. And often throughout the scripture, we see these storms and these whirlwinds and this gloom used as an illustration of God's judgment. His holy, righteous judgment that will come about at some point in time. So by just these three things, I want you to think about the picture that is being painted in Exodus. We have a holy, distant God of judgment who is not easy to approach. Matter of fact, he goes on to say that if even a beast were to touch the mountain, they were to take that beast and stone it. That don't give much hope, does it? It doesn't give much hope whatsoever. And the reason the writer is portraying it as this is because he wants you to understand how unsettling this is. He said that no one begged to hear this message. Nobody wants to hear a message of gloom. Nobody wants to hear a message of destruction. It says that it brought on them a feeling of severe punishment. But not only that, it even put Moses himself in a state of fear. Now we all know that fear is the beginning of wisdom. But I also know this, that I myself right now, while I approach a reverent God, I approach him with zero fear. I approach him with zero fear whatsoever. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's not about what I did. It's not about what I didn't do. It's about what Jesus has done for us. But I want you to think about this for a minute. Because while these aspects are true of fear, of punishment, and no one's really begging to hear this, they are half-truths. This is a shakable faith. And here's why it is a shakable faith when it comes to the law. It's a shakable faith because you are only as good with God as you can be. I want you to think about that for a minute. You are only as good with God as you can be. It's only as good as you can be, and it's only as good as you will ever get. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems pretty hopeless with me. Because on a daily routine, I'm not going to say a routine because I don't habitually do it, but on a daily basis, I fail. How many of you in here this morning have not failed? Raise your hand. Just this morning. We're only 11 hours into the day. How many of you have not failed? I think I failed my dream last night. But do you see the picture that this paints? And this is the picture that the law painted. And this is what people don't understand. Well, we have to hold to the law. Yes, I'm not saying that we go against God's law. But I am telling you this, if the law is what got us right with God and how we approached God, this is the outlook of what was to come. 
because you will never be good enough. A lot of times I like to think about it like this way. I like to think of our moral compass as more of a Ferris wheel. How many of y'all been on Ferris wheel? I hate Ferris wheels. One, they're too tall. Two, you go nowhere. <clears throat> and three, Jennifer always tries to shake the cart and it makes me nervous. <laughs> but when we went to Myrtle Beach, never going there again. When we went to Myrtle Beach, we got on that big Ferris wheel. You know the one I'm talking about. And the boys are running back and forth because those carts, they're big enough to where you can go in. They're bouncing back and forth between seats and that thing's just doing this. And I feel like, oh dear Lord, any minute. Jesus, I'm going to meet you. Come on. But not only do I not like it because of that point, because I want you to think about it this way, especially when it comes to a moral, moral compass. We have our highs about being on a moral right standing, don't we? But we also have our lows. There's sometimes we seem out ahead, but there's other days that we feel like we're all the way in the back. And the reason I say it's a Ferris wheel is because really a moral compass is not the true way that God ever desired to be approached. From the very beginning, he always spoke of the blood. From the very first sin and an animal having to be killed for the sin of Adam and Eve, to those very last lambs that were slaughtered at the temple. It's always been about the blood and the way we approach Jesus. Why don't you ask yourself a question? If absolute perfection, and this is what the Bible teaches, if absolute perfection is what is required for us to enter heaven, then how good am I? How good am I? Where am I at on that Ferris wheel? Am I at the top? Or am I at the bottom? Am I out ahead? Or am I way back in the back? And this is where we get stuck. This is moralism. This is religion. And this is why Jesus died. And this is truly the reason that a moral faith will always be shakable. Because I can promise you this, you will always mess up. But the next illustration he gives us is one that we can actually put our eyes on a little bit better. He then mentions Mount Zion. Now, believe it or not, Mount Zion is actually a literal place. I'm not talking about Zion National Park. We had a couple of our people visit there over the last couple of days, and I'm actually kind of jealous. But what he's talking about is Zion, Mount, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Does anybody know what Zion means? Anybody? Don't worry, I didn't either. I had to look it up. You're in good company. Zion means highest point. 
That's what Zion means. And Mount Zion in Jerusalem is literally the highest point in Jerusalem. That is why it got its name. That is the Hebrew word from it. But what is amazing to me is what you see right here on top of Mount Zion. Because what you see is called the Abbey of Dormition. The Abbey of Dormition. And again, just being the way I am, I had to think about this. Why is it called the Abbey of Dormition? Well, who knows what Dormition means? Don't worry, I didn't either. Dormition means death. Think about that for a minute. Why would somebody put a cathedral on top of the highest point and call it death? And you know, up until a couple of years ago, and I really mean this, it would have been hard for me to understand this point. But the truth of the matter is, Death in the life of a believer is one of the highest points they will ever hit here on this earth. Do you know why that is? Because of what is next. How many of us approach life like that? How many of us wake up on a daily basis anticipating how great Zion the what he's talking about, what he's getting an, an illustration of, how great it will be. And I know there's all types of interpretations in the Bible talking about the glories and the beauties of heaven. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think there's going to be a word that we can utter that will truly describe its glory. Jesus even said this to go along with this point. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels and plentiful harvest of new lives. You see, death shakes us. Death shakes us more than anything else on this earth. It really does. I think about it a lot. I didn't think about it as much before when I had kids, but I think about it a lot now because my thoughts always this, I don't wanna leave them. I wanna see grandkids. I wanna load those grandkids up with sugar and send them home like Grammy and Nanny does to my boys. I wanna buy them everything Granny and Nanny buy that we don't want them to have. I want to be able to have that part of life to check off. But at the same time, even as I look at these two precious gifts from God, do you think they can even compare to the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? No. No, they can't. Can being a father even compare 
to the gift that we are given as being sons of God? No, it can't. And the reason being is going back to that old system. You see, brothers and sisters, it's not about us being good enough to get to God. We've got a bunch of cults in the area, and I'm going to call them that. A lot of them call themselves churches, but they're not a church because the church is Jesus' bride. People who trust in Jesus for salvation. But these cults think that they can work their way to a God that doesn't even resemble the God of the Bible. But what's sad is they've got to work and work and work. But the Bible says nothing about that. The Bible says two simple words. Repent, which means to turn around. Does it mean 360? Because if you go 360, you're right back where you're at. It means 180 degrees. Turn to God and believe. But see, even with this, we have a bad mindset of what that means. Our faith in Jesus Christ is completely unshakable. There is nothing that can take it away from us. John 10 tells us straightforward that once we are in the Father's hands that nobody can snatch you out of his hands. It's sealed. And a lot of people say, well, well, God holds us like this. No, God holds us like this. He holds the whole world in his hands. What a truth from a little kid's tale. But he holds the whole world in his hands. And most importantly, he holds those who believe in him. So can I ask you a question? Where do we get some of our garbage from? Where do we get knowing that our salvation is a gift and accepting that to some of the thoughts that we come up with? How many of you have ever heard this? I got to get my life right before I can come to Jesus. Anybody ever heard that? You realize how big of a lie that is? One, let's go back to the shakable faith. The shakable faith is, is only as good as you can be. But the unshakable faith, on the other hand, is your trust in Jesus Christ for the death, burial, and resurrection and for the redemption of your sins. That's what we believe in. So do you have to get your life right before you come to Christ? No, get it backwards. We get our life right with Christ by trusting in him. And then after that, he does a work in us that carries us through to the end. He even reiterated this when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Notice he doesn't say, except through keeping my law. Except from going back to Mount Sinai. Except for holding to everything, everything that I've ever commanded. Does he say that? No. 
Because if he did say that, then there would be no point in us even being here today. He says that no one comes to the Father except through me. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 said it very, very beautifully. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. That's the presence that we're going into when we go into Zion. And the only way for us to have that unshakable faith is for our hearts and our minds and our life to be changed by him. That happens afterwards. But he said something in there. He said, but I will shake again. And there is a part of this that really does apply to us. First, it applies in the idea of a prophecy. Yes, he will shake the earth again and he will shake the heavens as well because there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But there's also a principle to this that applies to us today. Because once we become a believer, even though we have unshakable faith in him, our lives are still shaken. And you want to know why? Because he's constantly shaking away all that material stuff that we hang on to. He's constantly shaking it away. And that's why we have storms. That's why we have worries. That's why we have anxiety. That's why we have things come about in our life is because there is a continually shaking of what is happening in our lives. But it's not about working up to or working to or working for our salvation. It's about a process of sanctification that starts when we profess him as Lord, Master, and Savior. And you know when sanctification stops? At that high point, that high point of death, when we go home to be with him, that is when sanctification stops and we are made perfect. So some of you are probably thinking, well, why is this such a big deal? The reason this is a big deal And the reason we really need to grab a hold of how we approach God and how we want others to approach God is in the way we minister and approach people. Why do we expect lost, sinful people to act like sanctified believers? Help me with that. Why do we expect lost, Sinful people to act like sanctified believers. Because if you really get to the nitty gritty of what we are putting on them, you know what we're putting on them? We're going back to the law. We're going back to that gloom. We're going back to that fire. We're going back to that thought of it's about being morally right. Church, we have got to understand this one point. People don't know the way until they come to Jesus. People don't know the truth until they come to Jesus. People don't know the life until they come to Jesus. 
And if we really want this world, our government, and all these things to really change, what is the one way that it will change? It is only by Jesus. It is the only thing that will change the direction of our nature. It is the only thing that will change the direction of our children. It is the only thing that can change the direction of our hearts. Not a ballot box. Not a media source. Not anything else. Only Jesus. And over the last four years, what saddens me the most is I've heard more Christians put their faith in a politician than in Jesus. I'm not saying don't cast a vote, but I will say this. This is God's word that by him, only by him, do we come to the Father. And if we put more trust in a ballot than putting him, I question, do we know him? Do we know him? See, he's shaking me right now. And he's shaking me at my core. And yes, I'm angry. I'm angry at myself. Because day in and day out, I am still fighting this moral dilemma that is inside of me of thinking that I can be good enough to get to Jesus. Man, what a liar I am. What a liar I am. Back about 1987, I was at a camp in Athens, Georgia called Camp Maranatha. <laughs> the only reason I got to go there is because a neighbor loved us enough, loved me enough to pay for my way to get there. I thought I was going to have a great time spending the whole summer with my best friend. Man, it was horrible. I get there and they split us up. I was in Cedar Cabin. He was in the birches. And it was on the other side of the cabin. On the other side of the camp. So right away, I'm put in a situation because I didn't like being away from home. I love my mama. I want to be with my mama. So I'm there all by myself. Uh, Wednesday, we got to call home. Called mom, wanted her to come get me. She wouldn't come get me. Can you believe her? Can you believe her? Psh. Thursday was family day. Mm. Thursday was a rough day. Thursday was the day that I got to see all these kids playing with their dads. And man, it was the biggest slap in the face to me. And the reason it was a slap in the face is because most of y'all knew I didn't grow up with a dad. He left my mom before I was even born. All I've known is mama. But that night, and it's funny because all this come about through our small group going through the book of Psalms. 
know who the preacher was. I don't know what his name was. I don't know exactly what he was preaching on, but I can tell you this. He's preaching from the 27th Psalms. And he talks about how God becomes a father to those who are abandoned by their father. Man, hit me like a Mack truck. And you know what? I couldn't help but run to that altar. And I know for a fact that it's the day that God saved me. But even after that, I had a lot of unshaky times. I had times when I doubted my salvation. Somebody told me if you doubt your salvation, then you don't have it. Huh. Couldn't find out that guy was a liar. Because the more people I talk to, especially y'all, I find out that y'all doubted y'all's salvation too, haven't you? I went through a very rough spell of my life to where I became extremely distant from God. He never became distant from me, but I come distant from Him. And there was a day, right back there where Miss Carolyn's sitting. Miss Carolyn, you're in my spot, just so you know. <laughs> that God slapped me again. And that's when I said to God, if you help me get away from all this, I'll do whatever you ask. Be careful what you ask for. And even today, I still struggle with this moralism that lives inside of me. But there's one thing I want us to all be settled on this morning. Is that we are not good enough to enter God's heaven. Not a single one of us is good enough to enter God's heaven. I'm going to say something that some would consider blasphemy. Even my mama, because y'all praise her like she's a saint. Even my mama is not good enough to get in God's heaven because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it is only by the blood of Jesus Christ shed for our sins that we are able to get into heaven. And this is why we can't brag. This is why we can't boast. This is why we can't have any fluffed up feelings about feeling good about ourselves because the truth of the matter is we shouldn't feel good about ourselves. But we should always feel good about Jesus. Because he is the author and perfecter of our lives to the end. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for providing a way for me that I couldn't provide myself. Thank you for helping me to realize how wicked, vile, 
and ugly I am. Because Lord, when I look at that and then I look at the gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ, I realize how much you love us. I realize how much you love me. And it's only because of that shed blood that I am able to enter into your heaven. And Father, this morning, if there is one within earshot or even online who hears this message today that has not approached you through your son, Jesus Christ, I pray that today is the day of salvation. Father, help them to realize that they don't have to get their life cleaned up before they approach you, that you'll take care of that afterwards. Help them just to humbly throw themselves at your feet. For the rest of us, Lord, help us to remember that we're not as high up on that pedestal as we think we are. Help us to remember that it is not because of us that we are saved, but it is because of you. And that you were the answer to our life and you are the answer to this world's life as well. Help us to preach you boldly. Help us to proclaim you everywhere. And help us, Lord, to share with everybody just how great your love is for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning as we stand, as they say. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.